Hey everybody, welcome to We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, the only podcast where we watch a movie and then we talk about it. Uh, my name's Ted. Uh, I'm Rose. I'm Trevor. Uh, and this week, long foreshadowed on our show, uh, we watched Tom Green's auteur epic, Freddy Got Fingered. It's a directorial debut. We recognize yes. that this is not part of the Kevin canon, but... This film has come up so many times on the podcast up to now, and uh, I think it's, uh, I don't know, I think it's just a fun one to talk about, and I think kind of shows um, what kind of comedy that we find interesting compared to the works of <laughs> Kevin Smith. So I'd actually, I hadn't ever seen that, hadn't ever, I, I never saw this. Uh, that's even worse. No, you I had it right the first stupid. time. Uh, yeah, I had never seen. <laughs> I, I had never, I had never, I had seen, never this. seen this. Uh, poor Ted had never laid his eyes upon uh, Freddy Got Fingered. I have um, seen this film uh, quite a few times by this point. Are you too old enough to remember the Tom Green phenomenon? Like when he no, no but my brother was really into Tom Green, so I did watch like um, I used to watch his sketches on the internet. Like I think that's how I was introduced to him. And uh, my brother also had a copy of Freddy Got Fingered uh, on DVD, which I didn't watch for a while. And when I eventually did, I, I don't even know if I found it funny or not the first time. I think I was so <laughs> overwhelmed. But it's become, I think, it, one of the funniest movies I've watched. It makes me laugh really, really hard every single time I see it. Overwhelmed, I think, is a good word <laughs> to use. Because, Ooh. like... It's almost like a noise album where yeah. it's a lot. Like there's a lot coming at you during this entire fucking movie. Yeah. And it's like kind of hard to relax and just like hang out with it. But then once you do it, it is really, really funny. Yeah, this came at a very strange time when Tom Green was on MTV. He was like for a little while, he was like the biggest star in the world. Like, it, like, this is, like, a weird thing that couldn't happen now. Like, anybody who does the kind of things that Tom Green did now would have, like, an audience of 100,000 people online or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, they don't... We don't have the kind of media landscape that allows a, a Tom Green, like, phenomenon to happen like it used to, to the point where someone gave just gave him the funding to make his own to write and direct his own movie having never yeah. made a movie before just because he became such a huge star from like just uh, humping a, a dead moose and <laughs> screaming and acting like a spastic <laughs> child on tv like pe people just went crazy for tom green and grown-ups fucking hated him so much <laughs> oh yeah my mom hated tom green he was loved and despised <laughs> i i don't know if he was big in canada before he came came to him i know he was like a public access star up there that's what i was gonna ask is that like um one of the things i found weird about um freddie got fingered when i initially watched it is that when i was when my brother was showing me clips of uh tom green's show and when my friends were watching it together it felt like more of a uh like a small time local thing because i think it was a public access show or something like that right so watching freddie got fingered it's it's like quite a big budget uh you know like hollywood studio production and i think i was kind of surprised by that like holy shit how'd this guy get so much money and all these actors uh together 
so, someone from MTV, like, I guess, must have seen his public access show in Canada and mm-hmm. they gave him a deal and he became this huge star overnight. He released the Bum Bum song. Do you guys remember the Bum Bum song? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the Bum Bum song was his huge hit. He, <laughs> so uh, you guys know TRL, right? Over, you've, I don't know if you had TRL. I think so, no. TRL was an MTV show. TRL? Oh my God. It was. I never watched TV, MTV. It was just like, wow. by the time I was watching TV, I was just watching like cartoons basically until I was an adult. And then I still watch cartoons. Well, basically, TRL was the show I was on. Carson Daly hosted it on MTV and they ranked the top music videos where the users oh, would vote. I actually and do know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the Bum Bum song premiered at number one and was number one (laughs) all week, and uh, but like on like the Thursday of that week, Tom Green came on the show to like retire the video, uh, which was not something that ever happened. You know, they would have Backstreet Boys and sing Britney Spears, and it would just stay on the the show for weeks, right? But but apparently, uh, I think he was actually on. Brandon Wardell's podcast or something and revealed this recently. (laughs) It was this huge political thing at MTV because they had like a new NSYNC video to debut that Friday and nobody was expecting the Bum Bum song to be this huge hit. And like, so the the producers at MTV made him come on to retire the video because they needed the NSYNC video to debut at number one. (laughs) Wow! so he was forced to retire the bum bum song from trl (laughs) even though it probably would have stayed at the top of the list for weeks because it was huge rest in peace to the bum bum song uh i'll I'll play a bit of it in the in the episode here Uh, you're gonna like it ted but yeah tom green was a sensation and then he kind of just you know disappeared off the map a little while after this i mainly i mainly knew him from uh his street pranks uh specifically i think the one i watched the most times is the one where he orders a sandwich at subway and he keeps on adding ingredients to it but he keeps on acting like it's the last one so he keeps on being like oh yeah can i get some lettuce on that too oh and uh, can i can get some tomatoes oh oh and uh oh sorry actually just uh, a bit of spinach and he just like keeps going like that until it's this mountain it's like such a simple uh prank and he's he's got so many dumb little gags like that and uh, in my opinion i think i definitely side with the people that that think freddy got fingered is itself like kind of an elaborate satirical prank i think it's a much more intentional film than a lot of people would give it credit for there's in a lot of the bits there's almost moments where it like switches where like okay this is what would be in like a normal comedy movie and then this is where he keeps going and like pushes it farther and farther and farther it's like definitely in the beginning i was noticing that more too but then also like a lot of it is just like really well performed too Mm -hmm. so it's it hits a weird mark like rip torn is so fun oh he he might be my favorite part holy shit he's got really good. good Yeah, Brett Thorne and Tom Green both give, like, really genuinely good performances. Very different. Like, Tom Green is just going, like, bug-eye, wiling out every single scene that he's in. Uh, feels like nobody else on the set. And Rip Torn is giving a performance which is, like, surprisingly um, 
you know, it's still comedic, but it's kind of like straightforward for this kind of a movie in, to me, the best way possible. Like, I, I really love him as just this super angry father who's trying to maintain control of this absolutely insane uh, adult son. <laughs> They're both, like, psychotic, though. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both crazy. <laughs> you know, this is really a film about the eternal struggle between father and son. About the Oedipal (laughs) rage that burns at the center of all father-son relationships. You have have dueling archetypes. You have this just demented, like, violent man-child who (laughs) has no kinds of, like, no kind of inhibition or or morality or logic, like, governing his actions. It's just a completely (laughs) unpredictable freak. And his father, who's revealed to be more and more of a psychopath himself, <laughs> like he's like there's a there's a point where like it, it really the relationship really seems to shift because at first it's almost like a, a send up of like an Adam Sandler thing where you're supposed mm-hmm. to sympathize with the young guy and this stuffy old guy is in the rut. But it's like he's. The son, the son is like clearly insane, so you want to sympathize with the dad, but then the dad just becomes more and more like, and then it's a point where it's just these two sickos just screaming at each other and behaving in inscrutable yeah. ways, and you don't know what to make of it anymore. For how insane this movie is, it does have like honestly a really good like depiction of what it is like to have insane guys in a family <laughs> because they don't like they're both insane yeah. and they're insane together in so many scenes together but they also it's almost like they don't interact like they're each their own kind of like nuts and just sort of like glide past each other i i, I don't know how to explain really what i mean but there's there's such like a, a a distinct like difference between the way that like this movie is shot and acted or whatever. And every single other movie that deals with like crazy son, crazy dad, trying to like find a middle ground thing. Cause they never yeah, it works. like yeah. even, I, I love how Gord, a uh, Tom Green's character will like totally reset from one scene to the next, like in a, in a, the last, in the last scene, we'll have seen him completely freaking out. And then like, we'll start a new scene and like Tom Green will just be like, Dad, why do you why do you have to be like this? Like acting like normal. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> as if he wasn't just like like screaming and like uh, at, at like a restaurant and like making this huge public display. <laughs> and then it now all of a sudden his dad is like the one being unreasonable and, and freaking out and yelling at him. And it's just it's so like unbalanced and weird. My my favorite moment with uh with them together, Rip Torn's best line delivery when uh he <laughs> when he opens up the shower and sees Gord in his scooby oh my god and he says uh <laughs> and, and Gord turns to him and he says like look daddy I found the treasure and then <laughs> Rip Torn says 
get out of my scuba gear, you goddamn imbecile. And then he just throws him through the glass shower Flashes door. It shower, shatters. Yeah. And he, like, throws his face in the toilet. It's, like, so sudden. It they, makes me laugh so hard every time. They set it up so good because, like, they're in the kitchen for a while. He's complaining about um, taking too long in the shower. He goes, he tries to, like, prank him by flushing the toilet and it doesn't yeah. respond. <laughs> and it's all slowly built to him just being in the scuba gear. And he has this whole bit. He's, like, screaming. He has the soap and he's screaming about treasure and stuff. But he was just there in the, sh like... He, would he have just been there just waiting for his dad to I finally assume, show I assume up? he's waiting like, for his dad. He's just yeah. been standing there in the scuba gear like for hours just waiting oh. for I, his I dad to show up so he can scream at him about treasure. There's a line in that scene I need to point out because I didn't notice it until this time watching it. Because it, it's quieter than the rest of it. After the dad flushes the toilet, he, he says under his breath, uh, uh, Boy's so stupid he can't tell hot from cold. <laughs> <laughs> There's like this really great thing where he starts in the where Riptorn starts in the kitchen and like slowly makes his way downstairs to the the shower and it's like compared to the, the literally the entire rest of the movie it's so like slow and predictable and then it is like one of the most insane reveals when he rips open the shower door and he's standing there in this bright red fucking scuba suit i lost my fucking mind yeah okay well let's i let's go back to the, <laughs> the beginning the, the premise of this movie because honestly um as much as i love the entire movie the the first scene the title sequence might be my favorite part <laughs> where um so uh freddie arrives with his parents um to a bus station uh and he says uh now my bus is leaving for los angeles so i'm gonna leave on it <laughs> and return says son wait what you're not taking that bus to los angeles but you bought me a ticket for this bus to Los Angeles. That's not all we bought you. And then they point out that they, they bought him a car, <laughs> a, a, a LeBaron, a LeBaron, which is like, so why does he have tickets for a bus to Los Angeles? If you just bought him well, uh, they, a car, they came all the way to the bus station and they have the car there at the bus station, the, the license plate on it. This is the part that drove me wild. Uh, the, the license plate on it says number one son. And then of course, Freddie yeah. is a, bro or sorry, Gord is a, a brother, Freddie. <laughs> uh, Freddy. And then, yeah, Gord starts teasing him about how they don't love him and they're like no yeah. he, he they look they love me don't say that it's like i only see one lebaron here freddy do you see two lebarons no i don't think so only one lebaron here freddy i got the lebaron it, it, it's like <laughs> like he's just somehow been tolerated up until this point and he's like 28 <laughs> and they think he's finally gonna leave and like his dad his psycho dad has somehow managed to keep his cool until now and then but then when Freddy comes back and moves back in after leaving for like a day and a half, his dad just fucking loses it. So I guess the basic premise of this movie is uh, yeah, Freddy is, uh, geez, what even is the plot? He He's going to move out on his own. He's going to work at the cheese sandwich factory. Yeah, he's an aspiring animator. Aspiring animator. Yeah. He's chasing his dreams. Of uh, 
uh, creating the the zebra, the half zebra family. Well, show. originally, originally it's the um. Uh, oh, it's the, it? the, it's the, the vigilante cat. Cat who can see X-ray through cats. wooden door. X-ray cat. He can only see through wood, though. He can see through wooden walls and, and nothing else. Yeah. There's so many, so many good bits in this movie. Uh, one of my favorites is when uh, Gord is trying to pitch his show, which for some reason he chooses mm-hmm. to do by... Uh, Walking into a restaurant where there's like a producer or something or CEO, uh, and he's dressed as an English Bobby and he starts like yeah, harassing people uh, yeah. in the restaurant until he finds them. And then he just like he can't even pitch his show, he can like barely describe it to him. He's so he's so spastic and insane. This is basically a movie about the life of Justin Roiland. About this young, aspi- <laughs> aspiring yeah. uh, animator who can't calm down for three seconds. So then, like, from there, the guy rejects him and tells he needs tells him he needs to work harder at it. So that's why he moves mm-hmm. back home. He's surprisingly patient with him for the fact that he's acting <laughs> yeah. so insane. He's, like, trying to give him good advice and stuff. Even though he seems like he's supposed to be this like no nonsense Hollywood guy, he's like he, he like he he like he like really hears Gord out and listens to his pitch and tells him why the cartoon is stupid and. Stuff. Oh, I almost forgot a very important scene that connects those two moments. Uh, of course, on Gord's drive to his new destination, he stops oh, uh, on the side of the road oh, and yeah. uh, and jerks off a horse. He scream. He he's driving by. He sees this horse with his huge dick, and he screams and he swerves and pull stops and jumps out of the car just to go grab the horse's dick and like wiggle it around. And the 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 farmers are like yelling at him, and <laughs> he just can't control himself. He has to get his hands on that horse's dick. Uh, uh, later of course we get another there's many amazing dick moments in this movie another great dick moment shortly after when Gord is working at the cheese sandwich factory which is such a funny job the cheese sandwich factory why would there be a factory for cheese sandwich (laughs) and Gord uh, takes out like a giant like it looks like a thing of salami or something like that and starts swinging around like it's his dick and starts uh, talking about uh, oh jeez I'm sexy I'm a sexy boy I'm a sexy boy <laughs> ding dong ding he's been, he's been he's working at the the cheese sandwich factory for like two minutes you know put, yeah, just putting just slices of cheese there. on sandwiches at a conveyor belt and he can't control himself <laughs> he has to stand up on the conveyor it's all like older like women working there quietly yeah. And he's just all wearing like up the and uniform, he's holding the so- swinging around the sausage and screaming, and they're all just still trying to do their jobs. <laughs> it doesn't even appear that like he gets fired. Yeah, and there's like beautiful orchestra music too. Oh, the music in this movie is really good. Oh, it's spot on. I- yeah, he has this perfectly good cheese sandwich job. It doesn't seem like there's any kind of supervisor. Or he can do whatever he wants, but he gets so disheartened that he just by his meeting with the animation guy that he just goes all the way back home. (laughs) This movie, uh, I think, like, thematically 
kind of reminded me of um Tim Heidecker's movie, uh, the comedy I think it's called. The comedy. Uh, yeah, which is uh, about just like a completely asshole stand-up comedian who's like very rich, just going around and being kind of awful to people. And I think what they both kind of communicate to me is like this. Uh, they're they're really centered around people for who consequences don't seem to exist, <laughs> and uh, they're like really ugly de- uh, depictions of like the worst kind of person in, in that situation. And there's like something I don't know. There is something to Freddy Got Finger. There is something within it that I think is um, more meaningful than it, than it lets on. It, it's easy to dismiss. Like it, it is. You can watch this movie and be like, "Oh, this is like just like like a bad version of like every other comedy movie that exists." Mm-hmm. But like, it really does seem intention. There's like intentional moments that are just so perfect and so like, I, I don't like crafted like. Um, mm-hmm. The whole thing with Betty, uh, Betty is Gord's girlfriend who's in a wheelchair, um, who acts what the entire movie <laughs> she acts like just like a, like a love interest from like, I don't know, Van Wilder or something. Yeah, just like yeah. completely normal. She doesn't go nuts, plays it completely straight. There's like this one goofy thing is that she likes getting her legs hit because she's paralyzed so she can't feel it and but like gives her a tingle or something. And other than that, she's like totally normal, like bubbly, smiley, blonde, comedy, uh, movie love interest. Mm-hmm. And that next to Gord every time is just like, I don't know why, so fucking funny to me. <laughs> all he's she wants going is insane. to suck his dick. That's all. That's all yeah. she wants. <laughs> he's going insane. She's just like, yeah, Gord, yeah, let me, let me suck your dick. Yeah, she's a really bizarre character. She's just inexplicably attracted to Gord. And and she's completely insane. I, I guess she's a, a doctor. She's when we first, yeah. she seems to be a doctor when we first see Scientist her. But her being a doctor is never mentioned again. And yeah. she's all, she wants to be yeah, a rocket scientist. Exactly. Her real passion is rocket science, and she's trying to design a rocket powered wheelchair. <laughs> for <laughs> which makes no sense that she wants that but she's really into rocketry and yeah and her being a doctor at the hospital is just like how they introduce her and it never comes up again and and yeah she's just just completely bizarre makes no sense i've already started laughing just thinking about what i'm pretty sure the next scene is which uh was a moment i think i kind of forgot about and like shocked me this time when Gord is hanging out on his half pipe, uh, like in his uh, front yard or whatever. And he's with his friend yeah. <laughs> skateboarding. And he encourages his friend to try just one time, just go on the skateboard, yeah. just like try it. <laughs> and his friend instantly falls down and his leg splits like the bone splits Ooh. through his skin. It's super brutal. And the soundtrack goes insane. And then uh, Rip Rip Torn, and I, I can say this line, you guys can't. Uh, Rip Torn leans out, the, <laughs> leans out the window and says, what are you two faggots doing out there? <laughs> and, then he, yeah. and then he comes running out and he throws the skateboard and it hits the guy's like shattered leg and he starts screaming (laughs) and then everybody's screaming for like a solid minute and then the last frame of that is gourd like licking on the exposed oh yeah licking the bone he's 
when so any kind of like excitement happens, Gord starts freaking out like a wild animal, just going into like a frenzy. And and then ripped his dad comes out and his dad's screaming and he just screams some more and then he just starts licking the guy's exposed bones. Um, I thought I can't the get that, like frame out of my head. It is so funny. I thought the uh, the the moments of extreme violence in this movie were were some of the funniest bits. Like I thought that was amazing, and um, I loved the running bit of the the kid getting the kid. absolutely oh brutalized. <laughs> um, it was so good because again, I think that's like one of those elements that the movie is kind of twisting around. That's like definitely a kind of character we've seen before but like the level of violence <laughs> they take it to and the suddenness of it and the fact that it is a small child makes like it, it doesn't feel like slapstick it feels like so brutal when yeah it happens. yeah it, it's it's very graphic like it's always ex an extremely bloody mess yeah um, my favorite one being when um he runs over to Gord's car and he just trips and smashes his <laughs> and, he's, and he starts and he just starts screaming and bleeding and the camera lingers for like longer than you expect it to. Yeah. It happens like at least three times that that kid's <laughs> face gets all bloody and one of them is just his death because he's got this concerned uh, father. Uh, and then, like, I think yeah. there's one where, like, his dad is, like, playing catch with him and gets distracted by something Gord does and just hits his own son in the face with the baseball <laughs> and the kid starts bleeding again. And all, all the, like, damage done to his face is, like, still present for the next <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. stitches or, like, a yeah. big bruise, which really, Kids really, really just getting really brutalized throughout the mm -hmm. movie. He's like an eight-year-old kid. Uh, another, like, kind of brutal, shocking moment, uh, uh, when Gord again just stops randomly, uh, you know, on the road and uh, sees a deer carcass <laughs> and he goes up to it and he cuts it open and it looks like a real fucking deer carcass. Yeah. And he starts it's wearing well it yeah. and screaming <laughs> in the middle of the street <laughs> until he gets fucking. And it's like a beautiful by like, a truck. North California, like forest mm -hmm. with massive trees everywhere very like small like unobtrusive road and yeah. he's uh, freaking the out. the producer guy told him he needs to get inside the animals because he's oh, trying right. to make a cartoon about animals right. he's like you got to understand who these uh, these animals are you got to get inside them so he remembers him saying that he's like i gotta get inside the animals he thinks that means he has to cut open this deer carcass and literally try to climb inside of it. I want to make this clear to the audience at home because I feel like this is one of those movies where people sometimes think it's like a bit or something. It's not a bit. I think this movie is like fantastic. And I think Tom no, Green great. gives like a world-class performance in it. Like, holy shit. For him to be like yeah. the person behind the camera and also in front of it, this is like an honestly incredible production. It looks really good. And Tom Green, like, in the deer carcass scene and all this insane shit, you know, as, as crazy as the stunts are, he is always able to match it with his energy. Like, he is able to yeah. go to a level that nobody else in the cast is able to. And it's so much fun to watch. Yeah, I've seen this movie so many times, uh, and, I, and I've always loved it. <laughs> and I've almost seen it enough that, like, I almost thought I was going to get bored rewatching it. Just yeah. because like none of the bits <laughs> would be new to me, but it's like it has such a crazy like manic energy mm -hmm. that it 
it becomes hilarious inevitably. It's not like a regular kind of comedy where like, like, oh, I've seen these jokes before. It's kind of stale. It's like, it's, it's, it's too bizarre to not enjoy watching. Real quick, just to bring it back to, you know, our roots. This movie looks better and is shot better and is performed oh better oh, than so every better. Kevin Smith movie. And it's it, far it looks great. On his yeah. first try, his, his first, first try, try directing, buffoon. They, just get, they just threw some money at him, let him do whatever he wanted, direct his own movie, oh. and he did so much better than Kevin Smith has ever done in his career. Yeah, that was the other thing I want to mention. Like, like in in treating this as Tom Green's, you know, once in a lifetime kind of auteur blank check movie or whatever. Uh, the cinematography is fantastic. The directorial choices I think are uh, really consistent and uh, effective. There's like a lot of details in the scenes. That you can pick up later, like when on on rewatching, there's like jokes in the background and stuff, and uh, yeah, the whole thing just has a real energy to it that you don't expect from someone's first film out of the gate. In many ways, it feels like it fits into that kind of uh, general. Like this came out in two thousand one, uh, the same mm-hmm. year as Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. And oh, it was, no it was, it was, I feel like it was part of that same crop of late 90s, early 2000s kind of raunchy R rated comedies, mm-hmm. sort of in the wake of American Pie. You know, there were yeah. like a lot of movies like this coming out with lots of like gross out humor and stuff. And it like, it has like a sort of tone that's very similar to a lot of the, in most of these movies, nobody remembers. There's like, I don't know, Joe Dirt. Yeah. Uh, like there are a bunch of <laughs> yeah, other yeah. a bunch of other like weird gross comedies like that mm. that that didn't really stand the test of time and this has that tone is very familiar to me cuz i loved all those movies growing up you know but it really <laughs> stands out it, it it like it it fits in that mold but also really uh, breaks out of it in in a way that's timeless it just pushes everything like so much further than you even thought like possible um the moment (laughs) that like really made it click for me is um gord visits his friend who shattered his leg in the hospital and he's sharing a hospital room with a pregnant lady and then two i I don't know what they're why why is there a woman like in labor in the same room as his friend with a broken leg (laughs) but there's another two like uh, to me they seem like indigenous south american people or something like that i don't know yeah that's what i was picking up too yeah and the he gord is being his usual like insane self right and then the lady next to him keeps screaming at him, the pregnant lady, screaming at him to be quiet until she goes into labor. As she's going into labor, the two indigenous women are like playing a song on tambourines and Gord is screaming, Gord's friend is screaming, the lady is screaming, and he pulls out the fucking baby and it all comes to a head, which is just like, it's just like overstimulation and just like a wall of like noise and visuals that are like so hard to comprehend. It's like quick cuts, like back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between all these, these four characters and five characters in the room. And it, it ends with Gord ripping the baby out of this lady still connected to the umbilical cord, like six feet away. And then he chews the umbilical cord 
off to like you know cut it out but the baby's not crying so then he begins to spin it around like <laughs> i don't even know like a fucking like yo-yo or something by the umbilical cord until the baby cries and then he gives it to the mother and then the next scene he's just like like walks out of the hospital like kind of fast because people are after him and when yeah. he energy just he's when he like i'm a hero mom, i saved the day <laughs> and when he gives it to the, the mom i love that it here. I love that it instantly becomes super sincere. <laughs> like after all that, he hands it to yeah. her, and he's like, "It's a beautiful, baby." <laughs> yeah, it's so hard to describe. Just if you haven't seen the movie, first of all, watch it. I, and it's so hard to describe mm. just how insane it is. And I, that's like, that was like, I don't know, that flipped something in my brain where I was like, "Got it!" Like I yeah. just he, like he really started enjoying. He the movie just decides then. that he's a doctor, like. <laughs> That's no, such a good bit. Yeah, he, he has no like respect for like the just the <laughs> rules of any situation of any like decency. He just he's he yeah. just he's sociopathic. He'll do whatever he wants in any situation, and like yeah, I love e- even though he's he's like screaming and freaking out, but he still wants to like be a doctor in this scene. So he's gonna yeah. be like, I'm a doctor, and he's gonna try to deliver the baby with no concern oh, for the consequence. I I loved their dialogue right before he starts delivering, where she's like, I need a doctor. He's like, I'm a doctor. Yeah, he just- and he walks over and she says, <laughs> No, a, a real doctor. And he says, I'm a real doctor. <laughs> and then he. Then he yells into his uh, stethoscope and it hurts his yeah. ears. And it's like a Three Stooges routine at that point. It's, but it's so one guy. Funny. It's amazing. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, in a way, like, I did find that um, a lot of his antics kind of reminded me of an older style of comedy, even though it was, like, this super shocking shit. It did kind of remind me of, like, you know, old slapstick or, like, Three Stooges or even, like, uh like jerry lewis's nerd characters or whatever it's such like a uh flamboyant over the top kind of performance you don't see too often just super super entertaining the whole way through although this isn't a i guess not really a critique against the film because probably part of the point the only problem i have with this movie is that by the end it i am always just like so exhausted i'm always so wiped uh by this movie and it's not it's a very short movie it's it's like yes very short start of the movie to start of the credits it's like minute or an hour 20 maybe maybe even shorter uh it is 87 minutes and by the end of it, yeah, you just feel like you've been through so much. The pace never lets up. There's like never a slow moment. It's such a joy for me to think of all of the like old like baby boomer critics who are like forced to sit through this movie and just despise <laughs> it so much. And I couldn't help but see Rip Torn's character as them, as like the Roger mm. Eberts of the world, you know? Uh, because I was thinking specifically about Roger Ebert because I looked up his review and it's very funny. One of his classic reviews. Yeah. We should read some of it. But um, <laughs> it's like the critics obviously hated this movie. Were were so exasperated and upset by it, and 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 like it has no respect. The movie has no respect or reverence for them. And yeah. it's very funny to have this dad character. 
you know, this this middle-aged guy who's just so uh, 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 uh so like over the top angry just pissed at this young guy doing whatever he wants and it watching it this time it almost felt like a meta textual thing like like this guy is your parents or the critics or all these people who like hate Tom Green and can't stand him and Tom Green is just screaming <laughs> in his face doing whatever he wants and the the older man can't do anything to stop him that's a good point cuz so much i think of the joy of this film for me comes from the um i don't know if you want to say the the wastefulness of it but like there is something fun <laughs> about watching someone take uh this kind of a movie it's, like this budget of a it's movie like a and prank. yeah it's like a prank like he's he's just wasting it on the most absurd gross bad taste stuff in every scene uh, it does, yeah. It feels like uh, it feels like a prank. It, it it does feel like the movie that Gord would make, but <laughs> yeah. like yeah. actually yeah. executed, which is something that is an insane. Like to have a brain that can do that, I don't. I don't know if I want that brain because it sounds like a lot. But like to be able to make this movie, not only like the structure and the comedy and the acting in it, but then also make it like look good and like come off well and be paced in the way that it is is nuts i think i think the movie in a way genuinely comes from the heart uh in that i think tom green uh fully recognized like you know i'm a stupid man and this is what i find funny and that's all that matters <laughs> it really feels like he's not even though i think there's a lot of interesting stuff in how this movie is made and and the, there are satirical elements of it i kind of find interesting it feels like this is just like a, a kid who's been given uh, a bunch of money to do whatever he wants and he's just like spoiling himself with these absolutely disgusting stunts that are only funny to like him and uh weirdos like him uh like us apparently <laughs> Yeah, there's like this yeah. there's this sincerity and sweetness to Gord that <laughs> like are so his his behavior is so insane and unacceptable, you know? He's <laughs> but but he's like for some reason he's always he's always just has this disposition of like I just want my daddy to love me, you know? <laughs> and like he seems so sweet, but it's like He's clearly causing all of his own problems, just <laughs> acting like a total freak. But then he default oh, but then he defaults back to this like, I just I just wanna achieve my dreams. I wanna be an animator. <laughs> uh, so this occurs uh oh wait, actually before I get to where the plot progresses, I have to mention maybe the most famous scene in this movie, a very funny bit, uh <laughs> The daddy, would you like some sausage uh, moment, which uh -huh. for listeners at home. Um, so Gord is trying to get creative. So he's in his living room with uh, two slabs of meat tied to his like either side of his head. Uh -huh. And he's playing yeah. a keyboard a shower cap. <laughs> with his shower cup, yeah. He's playing a keyboard with um, a bunch of strings attached to each of his fingers, and the strings are connected to, like, a few dozen sausages that are, like, yeah. hanging in the air in the living room. Rigged up a pulley system. A pulley system? And Gord is just playing songs, and uh, his dad walks in, and Gord starts playing a 
Betty, would you like some sausage? And it's it's so gross. It's so absurd. And then in one of my favorite moments, uh, Rip Torn just grabs a handful of the sausages and yanks them, lifting Tom Green <laughs> into the air. Yeah. There's a there's an absurd logic to the scene because he's talking to his girlfriend before and his girlfriend's trying to give him some advice on being creative. And she's like, mm-hmm. you, you need to like draw and play music and eat and he's like how can i do all those things at once i only have two hands and he misunderstands like with the get inside the animals thing and he thinks that he's supposed to be able to play music and eat and draw all at once and he creates this incredibly convoluted solution where he has the strip it doesn't make sense it doesn't make anything any easier but somehow in his mind this system with the strings attached to his fingers and the sausages somehow facilitate him to eat and play music and draw all at once even though it really doesn't but he just has the sausages hanging there and the meat on his head the raw meat on his head adds nothing it's just there but the thing is like in the in the story of the movie it does work because then his friend comes up and he's like hey gord these are really funny and i think that that's what he ends up taking to the yeah. uh, the same hollywood producer dave davidson that becomes the zebra <laughs> show the drawings of his dad yeah which gets him a million dollars yeah uh yeah when gord does get the million dollars for his uh, shows zebras in america Mm -hmm. um it it, that is another moment i love because i love the the ceo that he's dealing with who is just like i don't even know what this dude is going for but he has like some coked up energy or something and he's like uh you you know what i'm green lighting this fucking project (laughs) like he just immediately immediately is sold the reason he green lights it is at first he's not convinced he's like this isn't realistic he doesn't believe the dad character oh and right then Freddy's and the, actual dad yeah. shows up Fred, his dad chased him all the way to la just to like yell at him and beat him up because he was <laughs> mad about whatever the latest thing Freddie did was and so he somehow finds him there in the producer's office and starts assaulting him and screaming <laughs> and the producer he's played by anthony michael hall he thinks that's so great he's like laughing he's eating it up but he also doesn't believe it's Freddie's real dad he thinks it's yeah. some guy that Freddie hired <laughs> to come and like destroy his office and do this whole performance and for some reason he likes that and it makes him like the cartoon and want to buy it it doesn't make any sense. And he buys it. Yeah, he gives him a... He's like, I wasn't planning on writing a check today, but uh, you sold me. And he writes him a check for a million dollars on the a spot. A million dollars <laughs> on the spot. You know, he can cash it out immediately. Um, this brings me to uh, my theory with Freddy Got Fingered. Um, not Ooh. my theory about the, the content of the film itself, but like I think kind of the meta aspect. It... To me, Freddy Got Fingered in many ways is honestly similar to Starship Troopers in that the reason that Starship Troopers really got through the studio system was that the studio was changing hands at the time. So this like, you know, action film about space bugs or whatever, uh, it didn't get a whole lot of oversight and what producers saw looked like acceptable. They didn't really get what the film was going to be at the end. I feel like Freddy Got Fingered is like a similar situation because I'm expecting they just gave 
Tom Green a bunch of money, kind of like they do in the film, which I think is like the meta aspect. I think they probably just gave him a bunch of money and were like, okay, we're going to ride this gross out American comedy, uh, or sorry, American pie trend. And, you know, we're old studio heads, so we don't understand what's funny. And then, you know, all these plot points that Tom Green's hitting in the script are pretty classic, like studio comedy, even the dad coming in at the end here. That's that's pretty typical, like some wacky family situation that the rich person's like, hey, I kind of like this. Here's uh, here's what you've been looking for. Ta-da. Uh, that's happened in a lot of movies. But then the content of the scenes and when you take it together as one piece is such an extreme form of comedy that it becomes like outsider art. Yeah, I mean, that that distinction definitely didn't exist in the minds of whoever was producing the movie at the time. It was just like, no. it, they were just betting on Tom Green because, you know, they were striking while the iron was hot. Like, this guy oh. was huge. They knew young people would pay to see what he did. And he was known, yeah. his whole thing was being extreme. So it's not mm-hmm. like they could step in and be like, and try to like make notes and be like, oh, could you change this or punch that up? Like they can't begin to mm-hmm. understand what the appeal of Tom Green is. So all they can really do is kind of stand back and let him do whatever <laughs> he wants because they can't quantify what it is that made him popular. But I guess more specifically, what I mean too is that Tom Green also successfully pulls off the like the basic foundations of that kind of American pie comedy enough that I think you know if if uh, CEO producers are checking the dailies of it or whatever it does fit into that genre it does look like something that you can sell to an audience yeah uh, and then it yeah. comes out and it's the most insane insane thing yeah. you've ever seen and when he's also known specifically for doing like gross out stunts with animals right, and shit yeah. so I f- almost feel like there were probably producers being like, oh, get some of that. Like, oh, can you get a horse dick in there? Like, probably like enc- encouraging him to do like gross <laughs> stuff. Like, because that that's basically what they know. The the main thing about this guy that everyone knows, like, oh, he's the guy who humped a moose on TV, you know, a, a dead moose. So like, yeah, you know, you got to get the horse dick in there. You got to get the elephant dick, even grosser animal stuff they can't show on MTV. That's That's the appeal of the movie. Oh, that's a good point too. Yeah, it would be like the this is like the R-rated yeah. uh, Tom Green. This thing. is unfiltered yeah, Tom Green. Yeah. yeah, and and hell, that's that's <laughs> what they got. This movie is absolutely uh, unfiltered Tom Green. Just a lot to take in. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, I mean, critics were completely baffled by it i'd really like to read some of this uh, roger ebert review if i can oh please do he, because he starts off and ebert like references this trend of movies that i was talking about and it's part of the reason he's so exasperated with this he, he starts off <laughs> it's been leading up to this all spring when david spade got buried in crap in joe dirt and when three supermodels got buried in crap and head over heels, and when human organs <laughs> fell from a hot air balloon and monkey bone and were eaten by dogs, and when David Arquette rolled around in dog crap and a gangster had his testicles bitten off in C-Spot Run, and when a <laughs> testicle was eaten in Tomcats, well, somehow the handwriting was on the wall. There had to be a movie like Freddy Got Fingered coming along. 
I love he's so he's so upset by this it's funny this was we talked about 9-11 on the Jay and Silent Bob episode and this was likewise just a few months before 9-11 you know oh yeah so like at the time in Roger Ebert's mind this was our greatest national tragedy that uh movies the downfall (laughs) of his beloved movies you know uh entertainment was descending into this uh disgusting just well of crap jokes he says poo on me he says this movie doesn't scrape the bottom of the barrel this movie isn't the bottom of the barrel this movie isn't below the bottom of the barrel this movie doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence with barrels (laughs) Many years ago, when surrealism was new, Louis Boonwell and Salvador Dali made Un Chien Andalou, a film so shocking that Boonwell filled his pockets with stones to throw at the audience if it attacked him. Green, whose film is in the surrealist tradition, may want to consider the same tactic. The day may come when Freddy Got Fingered is seen as a milestone of neo-surrealism. The day may never come when it is seen as funny. Uh, I wouldn't say neo surrealism. I would say uh, <laughs> I would say uh, it is a postmodernist uh, auteur masterpiece, uh, a satirical wonder. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what any of that means. I don't know. I still don't know what Kino means. And I was on that podcast uh, last <laughs> week. Uh, the movie is very funny and good. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just it like if you're gonna you know there's so many ways to judge a movie. Um, if I want to judge, you know, Freddie got fingered on uh its craft and even the you know the intellectual aspects of its script. Sure, it's good, whatever. But really, the reason why I hype it up is that it makes me laugh more than almost anything I've ever seen. It's- even even watching it today, I had to. Uh, control myself a bit because I knew that I would be like annoying my neighbors by laughing so loudly. The funny thing about Ebert is that he was always preaching this idea of like you have to meet movies on their own terms. You have to judge it based on what it is and what it's trying to do. And somebody who sees movies in the role of a critic that way should be able to take one look at Freddy Got Fingered and be like, well, this obviously isn't for me. (laughs) Like, I really don't even I don't even have any business reviewing this. I don't have like the frame of reference to determine anything about this movie. You know, it's just a movie that is not meant for me at all. But because of the function of his job, because of the way film criticism works, Ebert and a bunch of other stuffy old guys like Ebert have to watch this and try to reckon with it. I think that like like I've never read a Roger Ebert review. I like I I have friends, so I just ask my friends if they like the movies, but like I I don't think any critic, like I don't think any movie critic who gets published like should be able to like this movie. <laughs> like this is a genius movie that you have to be like kind of dumb yeah. to enjoy. Like not to be rude to Rose, uh, I mean, I'll, I don't care about Trevor, but like, <laughs> I'm, ve- I'm very smart. <laughs> I do feel like like there is a, a, something in this. Like me, like three or four years ago, I would not have liked this movie because I wasn't as accepting of just like being a dumb guy. And now, <laughs> like, I think I think like it's a sign of growth for me that like. I really loved this movie. I had a great time with it. Just like, I just relaxed and I enjoyed it. I just sat there and had a good time. Whereas like people who have to use their brains all the time and think 
like probably couldn't do that as well i guess like (laughs) you have to reach a certain point in like there's a certain there's a certain like state of mind you have to get to to enjoy this movie and to like not let this like gross assault of noise and (laughs) colors like just to let that not bother you and then like see it for what i think it is which is just I don't even, I, again, this is a hard movie to describe, but I think that this is a movie that could not be, like, critiqued by a critic who gets published in the papers or whatever. It's just... Definitely it not. Happen. But that that's that's part that's part of what I love about it, and it's sort of built yeah. into the movie, and people like Roger Ebert can't see that. Like, he, he, do, he doesn't really understand that the movie, in a way, I mean it sort of exists to perplex him. Like it's impossible for him to understand. Like he's getting pranked by this movie and he doesn't see it. And the thing is that like, I think now it would be easier for like a critic to look back and be able to, you know, uh, reevaluate the film and what it was doing. Um, but it is so intended to be a prank, like at a specific time. I think that, uh, the comedy sensibilities of like even the mainstream have shifted so much towards what is in Freddy got fingered that it probably wouldn't be as uh, off putting to someone nowadays because the things he's doing in this remind me greatly of like, you know, uh, Tim Eric or uh, Eric Andre uh, mm-hmm. as yeah. well. That like kind of prank humor and that kind of extreme stuff. I don't know. I feel I really feel Freddy got fingered was ahead of its time. Definitely. I mean, Mm -hmm. to make a movie like this, that's such a like supercharged version of movies that were like coming out not only during the same time, but like well after for like several years in the 2000s is really impressive to like recognize the trend and do it so well, like in and of itself, but also be sort of a satirical take on it. Yeah, it's like it's almost it's almost a parody, but not quite. I don't even know what to put it into. Uh, continuing with uh, the very important plot, because we're we're getting into the the big ending events here. Of course, Gordon has gotten the million dollar check uh, from the CEO guy, um, and as uh, well. Wait, actually, one sec. I'm going to look up because Gord actually <laughs> lists exactly what he spends it on, which is... Uh, oh, it's um he spends $150,000 on fine jewels on to jewels. Uh, make up with his girlfriend. <laughs> he gives just gives her a handful of jewels. <laughs> <laughs> In like a little pouch. And they're so clearly like glass beads. Like, maybe yeah, even yeah. Plastic. They're costume uh, shit. It's $100,000 on a helicopter ride to like give her the jewels. Yeah. Which is funny because... This is, they don't even address this at all, but like he comes to her window and then makes her go up on the roof, but she's in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's just <laughs> yeah. a little thing. That's I forgot about that, yeah. It's, it's hard, cause everything around it is so insane. It's hard, like I just remembered yeah. it now saying that, but, um, and then he spends $750,000 to <laughs> uh, take his father in his house, take an entire part of the house move it all the way to Pakistan while he sleeps <laughs> onto like a big rig and then to drive him around while he's in this like chunk of his house in Pakistan because like 
25 minutes ago in the movie, the dad like makes an offhand yeah. remark about like, if we lived in Pakistan, you'd be sewing soccer balls together. And so he drives around like, we're going to find some soccer balls, dad. Soccer yeah. balls. Yeah, he spent his whole million dollars, his whole fortune just doing this prank to bring his dad to Pakistan just because of an offhand reference that his dad made. And this is all yeah. just in theory, just because he wants his dad to love him. And uh, and then his dad, his dad chases him down. And then this is where, you know, the real screenwriting of the movie comes in because, uh, you know, the horse jerking off scene (laughs) earlier was a setup for the elephant jerking off scene at the end where Gord grabs an elephant's dick and jerks it off and the elephant comes all over his dad like a fire hose. Just so, so much. It's truly fantastic. Ebert picked up on this brilliant motif, actually. He says, The film is a vomitorium consisting of 93 minutes of Tom Green doing things that a geek in a carnival sideshow would turn down. Six minutes into the film, his character leaps from his car to wag a horse penis. This is, we discover, a framing device to be matched by a scene late in the film where he sprays his father with elephant semen straight from the source. I just love the way he writes about this movie. It's so funny. And uh, and then somehow their relationship is resolved. Uh, how does that happen? It, it happens very subtly. Because uh, so uh, Rip Torn is floored by the elephant come. Literally. And he's, yeah. And he's like, yeah. and he's like, how do you, and he's like, wait, how did you, how did you pay for all this? And. Tom Green explains that he sold his cartoon <laughs> and got a million dollars. And he's like, oh, wow, you must be a pretty damn good animator. Then just the, <laughs> the realization of the fact, even though his son just wasted all that money to pull this ridiculous prank on him and destroyed his house and all this shit. Just the realization <laughs> that someone gave his son a million dollars for his cartoon makes him suddenly proud of him and he just completely relents and and now like they're fine now they love each other and that's where like the movie really is realistic because throughout the movie uh his his dad really does like want to believe in him and like he really yeah any time he's given even a lie like a chance (laughs) to be proud of him he's so proud of him and like you can really Rip Torn does such a good job of like portraying it. Yeah, when he lie, tells a very obvious lie that he got a job. When Rip Torn catches him wearing his suit backwards and doing the backwards, backwards man song. Man, the backwards man. Yeah, and he says that oh, he got that a job. So good. And Rip Torn just believes him, and he asks for money, and he gives him a hundred dollars. <laughs> and he's, and he's so, so proud. So, yeah, he's so proud. And that reminds me of one of my favorite scenes uh, in the opening when Gord is about to drive off in his uh, in his LeBaron, and uh, and Rip Torn says, uh, you, "You you make your daddy proud. You hear me? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna make you proud, daddy. Make your daddy proud. Gonna make you so proud, proud, proud. proud. Like <laughs> they're just going back just and forth, just off. saying proud over and over, uh, really selling the theme." of the movie we didn't we didn't even mention the 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 uh the event described in the title 
which I is, know. Oh, I just yeah. realized that. Well, I don't think we talked it's about, we fingers, talked right? about yeah. yeah, they're in therapy. He's oh, in geez. like therapy with his parents, and Freddie, I mean, not Freddie, Gord is still, I guess, committed to destroying his dad's life. He does this insane gaslighting where he ruins he ruins his parents' marriage and everything, like pretending his dad's <laughs> abuse. And he's he said so his younger brother is Freddie, played by one of the guys from American Pie, forget his name. But um, and his Freddie's also an adult. He's like twenty five years old, mm-hmm. and he's he said that his dad fingered. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody believes him. Yeah, yeah. The his mom believes it. It's crazy that his mom <laughs> yeah. will believe him. Like she knows what Gord is like too. And but as soon as like the the social worker lady like bites and buys into it, he seizes on that and starts going crazy. And he jumps up in the window and he's like, "You're a molester, Dad. You're a child molester." Like freaking out. And then <laughs> and he throws a bus of like Freud through the window Charm. and jumps yeah. out the window in slow mo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it looks like a demon. Yeah, Gord is clearly the insane one here, but everyone just <laughs> believes him. And then they come to take Freddy away. He's a grown man. And they take him against his will. And they bring him to a place called the Institute for Sexually Abused Children. <laughs> and it's just a bunch of, like... The oldest kid in there is like twelve, and yeah. then he, he's like a full-grown man. He's just for, he's just forced to go, and he's also they're they're watching like violent horror movies there, which is very weird. Weird, it's detail. a bunch of little abused yeah. kids. <laughs> and he's saying like, "My dad, my dad didn't finger me," and the other kids like, "It's okay." <laughs> it's like an eleven-year-old. And then we never see Freddy again. That's he's just dispatched for the rest of the movie. That's the end of Freddy. Uh, another weird detail is that Freddy's uh, girlfriend uh, leaves him when he goes to the home for sexually molested children <laughs> and uh, goes and dates Shaquille O'Neal. No, that's his mom. Yeah, that's Oh, his wait, mom. sorry, sorry. I, I misspoke there. Because in an earlier scene where he's <laughs> gaslighting his dad and his mom, he's say, telling his telling his mom, like, we got to get away from this man. He's, he's terrible. If I were you, I, I'd go out and I'd have sex. I'd have sex with basketball players, you know. And sure enough, his mom does uh, go out and have sex with Shaquille O'Neal. And Shaq's a very funny man. I, I, it, was, it was really good to see Shaq in this movie. I wasn't expecting it at all. I think maybe the funniest scene to me is is back at their house after Freddie gets taken away for being fingered. Uh, it, like, um, Rip Torn is, like, confronting Gord in his room, and Gord's, like, kind of acting normal again, like he's the victim or something. And, and he says, fuck you, Dad. And his dad's like, oh, fuck me? And he takes his ass out and starts wiggling it around and being like, oh, you want to fuck me? Like, this is right after he's been accused of molesting one of his kids. And he's like his other shaking son, yeah. and he's shaking his old ass at his son and being like, you want to fuck me? Yeah. Fuck me. Fuck me. And then and the mom comes in and sees it and is horrified because, of course, she believes everything that Gordon said. <laughs> just acting completely insane like he's just been so broken down by his son he's wiggling his little ass around and going fuck me fuck me fuck me uh i think you can compare the uh parental relationships in this film to uh 
David Lynch's Eraserhead. Uh, if you look at the uh, the off-putting <laughs> physicality of the parents, I think it lines up uh, pretty well. Thinking of other auteur masterpieces. Um, I want to mention as well that I think all the characters get treated very poorly by Gord. Um, I think the one that gets the worst is Freddy. He is so... All the other characters get at least like some... Of, uh, you know, lenience from Gord or whatever, but Freddy is the one that he is just like pure cruelty to in every single scene, whether it's getting him sent uh, to the sexually molested children's <laughs> home or uh, telling him that he's a failure before he's yeah. going off to work and uh, <laughs> mocking him like mercilessly. Uh, just really awful to him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and of course, uh, in, in the beginning too, my one of my favorite moments mocking him for being uh the least favorite child and not getting a LeBaron and not being loved yeah <laughs> it's really funny to name the movie after a character that freddy got fingered basically yeah. doesn't exist yeah like yeah. he only exists to be shit on like has no nothing to do with the movie other than that yeah to the point that even the title is shitting on him like lying about like the the big lie about him getting molested by his dad is there in the title when he's barely an important part of the movie <laughs> um one last line from ebert i want to read real quick it's he's he's talking about uh gord he says Gord would exhaust a psychiatrist's list of diagnoses. He is unsocialized, <laughs> hostile, manic, and apparently retarded. Retarded? How else to explain a sequence in which a Hollywood animator what? tells him to get inside his animals and he skins a stag and prances around dressed in the coat covered with blood? I thought that was really funny, and I also looked up the, the, uh, <laughs> the Ebert and Roper clip where he talks about this movie I just see if there's anything funny. It was basically the same thing, but it's even worse. He actually calls the character a retard. Jeez. <laughs> In this clip. No way. Ro Roger Ebert totally <laughs> drops the R-bomb on his syndicated TV show talking about this character. And he and Roper both hate the movie so much. They're so upset talking about it. <laughs> it's so it's so funny that he calls him the R word. I just I love that. <laughs> uh, go on, come down, uh, Roger Ebert. Sorry, and um, that not <laughs> And uh, as like a little cap to that, uh, a little over a year later, um, Tom Green was in a, mo a, a mostly forgotten movie called uh, Stealing Harvard, along with Jason Lee of Kevin Smith f oh, fame. And uh, Roger Ebert revisits uh, Freddy Got Fingered in this review. Uh, no. He's really oh bored. A part of the, the thing with this uh, review is that he's totally bored with the movie. It's uninteresting. It's forgettable. But he says, um, seeing Tom Green reminded me as how could it not of his movie, Freddy Got Fingered, which was so poorly received by the film critics that it received only one lonely, apologetic, positive review on the tomato meter. This was 2002. This dude's already talking about the tomato meter. I, he says, what? That's I, I gave it, let's see, zero stars. Bad movie, especially the scene where Green was whirling the newborn infant around his head by its umbilical cord. But the thing is... I remember Freddy Got Fingered more than a year later. I refer to it sometimes. It is a milestone. And oh for all gosh. its sins, it was at least an ambitious movie, a gopher-broke attempt to accomplish something. It failed, 
but it has not left me convinced that Tom Green doesn't have good work in him. Anyone with his nerve and total lack of taste is sooner or later going to make a movie worth seeing. So even Roger I mean, he's Ebert, half right. He's yeah, he's but half he, right. Even Roger Ebert, who is so disgusted and upset by this movie, after stewing with over it for like a year, still thinking about it, is like sort of coming around to the realization that there's something special and important about this movie, but he still can't quite grasp it. I, I think it's one of those comedies that uh, it drills into your head. After you see it, you can't forget it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And that's why it's more remembered now than any of those other Tom Cats or Sea Spot Run or any oh. of those other gross movies that Roger Ebert listed in his review. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Like, I, I'm not a fan at all of like gross out comedy typically like the the kind that tom green is obviously like going off of i'm not into the american pie movies or, or any of that kind of stuff not even super into judd apatow really but um what about the Farrelly brothers you, like there's something about mary did you like that no uh. i don't like that no <laughs> <laughs> um but uh the just the levels that tom green goes to how extreme he's willing to be the commitment he has to his performance and also I think the rapid tone shifting and just the way that the film keeps you on your feet, I find it sucks my attention in, in a way that's super rare for any kind of comedy, yeah. but especially this genre. Uh, but like start to finish, I'm so entertained and each gag is like, like I said earlier, my only my my only thing I can describe as a problem with it is that by the end of this film, every single time I'm ex I'm just exhausted because you're into it the whole time, and it's such an intense experience. It's like one huge gag after uh, another, but so many of those gags have stuck with me. It makes me scream laughing, and and that's why I really really do think that Freddy Got Fingered is a fantastic comedy. It's great. It's it's really all in Tom Green's performance. But then, of course, you have Rip Torn, who's also incredible. Uh, Har Harland Williams is hilarious as as Gord's friend, uh, yeah. who's also just basically constantly getting tormented by by Gord. <laughs> when, whenever when, every scene that this character's in, when Gord shows up, he just gets upset. He's just like begging to be left alone, basically, because Gord just keeps making his life harder. <laughs> It's it's a really fantastic movie. I mean, it's there's nothing like this movie, really. Like everything we've compared it to, I think, like I think those are good comparisons. But there's nothing even close to like the experience that you have watching this. I really feel like Tom Green is like, in some ways, the kind of person Kevin Smith wishes he he was. Mm -hmm. I mean, because first of all, he came from Canada, which is where, you know, Kevin Smith is obsessed <laughs> yeah. with Canada, probably wishes he was Canadian. But also, he's clearly just this compulsively creative person, you know, mm -hmm. like he grew up when when Tom Green was like a kid, he was in a rap group. Did you know that, Rose? Like a Canadian white boy rap group. No, but I guess that kind of makes sense. And yeah. he and he's been doing and like pro doing comedy and weird stuff like from his teens, just going on public access. Mm -hmm. Like it's sort of like the same way that Kevin Smith got into making movies. Uh, I, Tom Green took a more direct route and just got on public access, just doing weird stuff on TV and like 
just because he was just so uh, uh, compulsive with his creativity, it just flowed out of him. He somehow uh, rose to stardom sort of briefly and had the opportunity to do this movie that's just like a pure expression of his creativity. And it's something that Kevin Smith could never (laughs) equal. Like he could never be in touch with himself as an artist in the way that Tom Green is in this movie, you know? Yeah, it's it's funny to talk about Tom Green uh, like that, but he really... um, He's been consistently ahead of the curve and just trying to make stuff constantly. The other thing I want to point out was that he was way ahead of the game on live streams. He used to have an internet live stream show that you could call into. Mm. And uh, I don't know when this was, but it, it might have been before YouTube or a little bit after. It was like really early internet stuff. So I, I feel that he is... And, and actually the Tom Green show as well feels very much like the kind of stuff you'd watch on YouTube uh, yeah. just a couple of years ago. So I think he's been consistently uh, like on, on the, on the cutting edge of comedy. Uh, but for some reason he has not received the same kind of, um, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, what, what would the word be? Rehabilitation as some yeah. other comedians that were ahead their time. I think he's still kind of viewed as a, a bit of a fad. Um, which of course he was in a certain way, but I think he did a lot more than um, than most people would give him credit for. Well, I think it was so shortly after um, his kind of breakout uh, that like the new media landscape started to form, and mm-hmm. people were posting stuff online, and there became more and more of this kind of stuff uh, available in like a micro way where like when the Tom Green show came on MTV, it was the only thing like that you could get. There was no YouTube or anything, but then like, Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like he fate faded a little bit into this new sort of media landscape where like, you know, thousands of amateurs could post their stuff online and there'd be an audience for it. And they all kind of have a small audience and, Tom Green was sort of lucky enough to come along early enough to break through and reach this massive audience doing the kinds of things that, you know, uh, millions of people would imitate online later. But it was pretty smart of him to kind of be ahead of the curve in terms of like doing stuff online, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than I don't it doesn't seem like he tried to cling too hard to having a Hollywood career. He definitely did a handful of movies but it seemed like he was ready to kind of just uh, adapt and, and, you know, do something that uh, worked uh, and, and, and that's good. And I think he's, he's still doing some stuff like that now. Like I think he's doing some online show during the quarantine where he like bought a conversion van and is just driving around the country, living in his van and doing a show from it. (laughs) So like, He's all, he's always like making new content and doing new weird stuff just for whatever small audience will watch it. So he seems like he's like a pretty like well-adjusted person, you know, like he's, it seems like he's pretty like happy with the amount of success that, that he has. He's not like, he he doesn't, I don't get the sense that he's like bitter or feels like he's washed up or anything. I would say like the biggest difference between Tom Green and Kevin Smith uh, is that Tom Green like is sure of himself 
Like oh, he does. Yeah. Oh, this yeah, is based geez. on this one movie I've seen. He's like, okay, I'm going to do this movie. Where every, even Clerks, I mean, even Clerks, every Kevin Smith movie feels like the whole time he's like, oh, should I do this? Oh, I don't know. Oh, like he's second guessing himself the whole time. Yeah. And also constantly yeah. trying to make himself seem smarter than he is. Like, <laughs> trying to show yeah, how the, intelligent he can be with the writing. Tom Green has no interest in that. He doesn't care no. if people think thinks he's smart or anything. Yeah, and even most of Tom Green's stuff, I'm not like I I like I like you know some of his sketches and stuff, but I'm not I would say a Tom Green fan in general. Like I don't follow his work too closely. But the the thing that really elevates this film and the thing which I just have to give him so much credit for, which Kevin doesn't have, is the the bravery to fully, fully commit yourself. Because Freddy Got Fingered would not be funny if he gave it even just 80 or 90% of his energy. It's only no. funny because he's able to give it everything. And also because uh, this is the other thing that really separates him, is that when you watch Freddy Got Fingered, you realize this is a guy kind of permanently destroying his Hollywood career. Um, Kevin's films often play very safe uh, yeah. because he's he's very much a career man. He very much thinks about his brand and what he wants to do next. His projects, like individually, don't seem to matter as much as like the continued Kevin Smith canon. For for Tom Green, this is like one and done. This is the one movie he's putting out, and he's going to put everything into it and completely self-destruct his career and kudos to him because the end result is something that is just so great so much funnier than anything else we've watched on this podcast why were they allowed to call the movie freddy got fingered how did that one slip i don't by? know it's a pretty i maybe fingered wasn't a commonly oh, known thing at the time i don't it, know i mean they it made did. a finger jokes on animaniacs <laughs> true they were pretty um they're pretty strict about it. Like the mm. South Park movie was supposed to be called South Park Hell on Earth. And they said they couldn't put the word hell in the title. Oh, really? Well, it was kind of funny because what South Park did is they changed it to bigger, longer and uncut, which was a dick joke. But it was subtle enough I, that it got I by don't them. remember that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Freddie got I, I think because fingered has multiple meanings. Like you say you fingered someone when you like turn them into the cops, at least in the right, 30s yeah. or something. And it's like, I guess, vague enough that they could get away with it or like. Uh, but Kevin Smith couldn't call his movie a couple of dicks, even though dicks has a totally <laughs> sure. non-sexual meaning. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's funny how selective it is. But I guess to like the the old dinosaurs at the MPAA, Freddie got f the finger didn't really stick out to them as a sexual thing, even though that's explicitly what it means. Oh, I also just want to point out that I, the very last gag in the movie is that neighbor kid getting just eviscerated by uh, the propeller blades oh. of a plane and his blood spraying everywhere. This is the one moment where you can tell there is a compromise. Because they do ADR in the kid saying he's okay. Yeah, and I feel like yeah. that was the one edit that yeah, like Tom Green right. was forced to make. He absolutely wanted that kid to die at the end. And they were like, we can't have a child death. <laughs> the kid's like, I'm all, but it doesn't make any sense. Like, obviously he's not alive. Because his body got eviscerated. Yeah, his, <laughs> he just got chopped yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, 10 gallons of blood just sprayed all over everybody. That kid is gone. <laughs> but you just hear his disembodied voice going, I'm okay. You could almost imagine that it's like his his soul leaving his body. He's going, he's ascending up to heaven going, I'm okay, dad. I'm okay.
Uh, well, the thing I will just leave it off on then is that uh, Roger Ebert was wrong. It is absolutely an art house, you know, masterpiece. Uh, we love it. I tried to do a little digging to see if he ever referenced it again later in his career, and I couldn't find anything. I, I'd like to think that sometime, maybe on his deathbed, he was still thinking about Freddy Got Fingered and maybe chuckled a little bit about the sausage thing and was like, you know what, maybe... Wasn't so because he already seemed to be evolving on it in that just a year later, his his opinion of it had already sort of brightened uh, in retrospect. So I don't know. I'd like to think that Ebert might have eventually warmed up to it like he did with other classic movies like The Shining, which he hated at first and later admitted was a great movie. So oh, I didn't know. He I think if he had lived long enough, he could have uh, come around on this one. <laughs> yeah, I like to think if Roger was here today, he'd say. Freddy Got Fingered is a classic film. <laughs> In fact, I'm just going to speak on his behalf since he's dead and can no longer represent himself. Uh, Roger Ebert would now approve of this if he were alive. I'm just going to say it. It's, it would make yeah, um, it on his great his great films 2020 <laughs> list. A <laughs> hundred films also, you have to see before you die. Here's my take. Don't. Don't read a film review, you know, unless it's by like Rose um, or Trevor. He does that sometimes, too. You know, like just listen to your friends, listen to people online who are just like just, you know, they're just online. They're just online people and they're not doing anything. They're not getting paid. They're just doing it because those are the people that are going to tell you the truth. Not Roger Ebert. I don't trust him. I've never trusted him. I don't know why, uh, but I continue to not trust him. And I like to think that. His his final thought was that damn Freddy got fingered movie, uh, and then he died and went no. straight uh, to hell. I think I think Ebert is very fun to read. He had a lot of stupid, baffling, contradictory opinions uh, that made no sense. But like I don't know, he's very interesting. Like that that his little clever line about the barrels is very funny. Like he's always trying to do like clever jokes like that. This movie doesn't deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence as Barrels. That's just classic Ebert right there. It's very funny hearing him try to contend with a movie like Freddy Got Fingered, which is just not made for him or anyone like him. I haven't read a whole lot of Ebert reviews, but uh, I was a big fan of Siskel and Ebert and still like watching clips on YouTube because it's just like the most comfortable show to watch. I can just like relax into it so easily. There's you guys have such a fun dynamic they hated um, each I, other oh yeah and that's that's why it's great <laughs> yeah. i love that that's sort of like our show i i forgot earlier i meant to bring up um that freddie got fingered in a way kind of reminds me of another film uh ebert did not get and hated which was pink flamingos which is also you know a film that is completely reliant on gross out shock uh humor and stunts and kind of similarly to Freddy Got Fingered is about kind of, you know, two rival, uh, absolutely nuts people who are disgusting and just trying to, like, ruin each other's lives. Uh, so Freddy Got Fingered has an important place in the comedy canon and history of, uh, of filmmaking. Uh, so this week we don't have a real uh, Kevin's receipts because we're trying to keep this episode fun. Uh, we've had a lot of uh, Kevin <laughs> lately, but I have to mention um, right now it's before the uh, the election. I don't know when your guys' elections happen in like a week or so. So uh, I think this will come out afterwards. Week, yeah. Pretty pretty soon. And we want to congratulate uh, President Trump on his 
congratulations victory against joseph biding you d- you're you welcome on the pod four anytime more years. we won't even make you watch a movie we can just talk about the fight scenes of that one movie that he skipped through i forget that story blood sport yeah i'm so sorry to everyone you're right i should have voted for joe biden i can't believe trump actually won maryland by one vote nobody saw that coming <laughs> certainly not me it is literally I'm sorry that it's my fault that Trump is still president, but I promise I will vote for Joe Biden next time. Well, if Joe Biden does somehow become president uh, in the future, uh, <laughs> you have Kevin Smith to thank um, because uh, uh, I won't. Oh, this is going to be a big thing, but I had to mention it because it's just so embarrassing and so on the nose that Kevin, on October 27th, shared. Uh, one week from today, assemble. Voting is the end game. Uh, and then parentheses, help me give credit to whoever made this. I got it from a follower who also doesn't know. Anybody have any idea where this marvelous piece of editing came from? Hashtag vote. And then the video he attached is a god-awful, um, really embarrassing <laughs> uh, montage of like, it's Avengers narration over clips of like, you know, Joe protesting in the street and Joe and Kamala and also clips of the Avengers like interspliced here and there, which is very <laughs> funny and talking about how we all need to come together and assemble and stand behind our great heroes, uh, Joseph, uh, Robin at Biden and, uh, uh, that turf cop, uh, Hey guys, what if uh, what if the Democrats were like the Avengers, like from the movies? Holy shit! Wouldn't that be crazy? I want that's that's so crazy. Has anyone has anyone done like an edit with uh, Trump and all of Trump's people where they're like uh, the Zack Snyder's Justice League? (laughs) (laughs) And Trump Trump is would Trump be Batman or Superman? That's kind of tough. I can't. I'm not sure. He would be Superman and Pence. Yeah, he would have to be Superman. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you know, if someone did like a good edit of like uh, Batman v Superman and made it like Joe Biden versus trump uh, i'd probably throw i'd probably throw a bit more support behind uh joe biden i uh yeah i don't <laughs> want to encourage anyone to do anything like that ever again but it, it would be funny if those chud meme people reacted to this democrat <laughs> avengers thing by doing a republican justice league <laughs> yeah and that would uh. truly make movie bob lose uh his mind oh that would be a that, that would be a big hullabaloo uh by the way one of the few films i'm excited for right now is uh the snyder justice league cut um, um yeah. they're p- pumping so much fucking money into it right now it's so insane uh but i am so ready for whatever he wants to put out i'm so interested i'm so excited for it hell yeah all right uh good night everybody watch the justice league <laughs> cut yeah it'll be (laughs) only watch the snyder cut when it comes out i watched the original one it's awful don't watch the joss cut i've seen the joss cut of justice league three or four times now Uh, oh come on man he's a glutton for punishment it's it's bad i just i just like the characters i like seeing ben (laughs) as batman i like seeing them in action uh, I'm I'm so excited for the real version of the movie, which you're will be like, five, uh, you're five like hours Rip Torn, long. Just like continuing to watch his son disappoint him. 
That's you. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that it's bad, but you know, there's little parts here and there that I enjoy, I like the chemistry between the actors. You know, I can't, I can't help it. Sometimes I get bored and just put it on. <laughs> All uh, right, well, go vote, everybody. <laughs> yeah, if you if you missed it, it'll be after yeah. voting comes out. Just go back. They'll let you vote. They'll let you just like, vote. go back. Look, there's no rush. You'll get another chance. Every like two years they let you vote. I don't it's not a big deal. If you miss it this time, you can vote you can vote next time. If you if you can't vote, ask your friend to vote twice. Uh that's yeah. what I always do. You only really need to vote like once every decade. Like other than that, yeah. you're just you're fucking showing off. Yeah, and if you can't like actually make it to the polls or can't afford a stamp through the mail in ballot, you can just kind of whisper your vote into the wind and <laughs> let the wind kick because <laughs> that'll count about exactly as much as bothering to actually vote in one of our fake elections. You know, it, yeah. it just, just do whatever makes you games. Feel. Write Joe Biden you know? on a piece of paper and like throw it in a fire and assume that magic <laughs> will make him the president. It's the same so, thing as voting. I mean, that's you want to be careful with magic you know you never know what's gonna, gonna no no, no. There, be as reckless as you want with magic put any kind of hexes on joe biden's name that you desire it doesn't matter it's fine anyway sorry for doing uh foreign uh election interference good night everybody <laughs> good night goodbye good morning good afternoon my bum is on the rail bum is on the rail look at me my bum is on the rail my bum is on the man bum is on the man it's a lot of fun to put your bum on a man my bum is on the step bum is on the step don't fall down the step you might hurt your bum <laughs> and that's not very fun if you fall down and hurt your bum i like to put my bum on things it's fun for everyone Swedish. My bum is on the gum. My bum is on the gum. I can blow a bubble with my bum bum bum. My bum is on the ship. The battleship. I hope they don't shoot the cannon in my bum. I shoot poo all over the place. Poo poo. But that is